Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live Multi-Speed Technologies, the Ask Noah Show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. So, so this is what we're doing now, huh? Yep. No, sit down. Just turn a mic on. Yeah. Get your own mic. Hold on, hold on. Okay. Now you got a mic now? Yeah, are you I got all a mic. Yep. Everyone's just gonna, just gonna, yeah. We're all just going to file on in here. Just, I'm doing a show. You're going to crash my show. Uh, so I, I guess uh, I guess we have a guest this hour. Uh, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, how you doing? Uh, good. <laughs> doing a show. <laughs> so just, all right. So we have uh, we, we we have an audience and a guest. That's cool. All right. So um, this is the issue with doing the show for Multispeed Technologies is sometimes people from Multispeed Technologies I guess show up on the show. That's fine. Uh, so um, uh, man. Okay. So this kind of threw off my uh, my planning here a little bit. All right. <clears throat> so let's. Uh, so tell me. Uh, I guess. Uh, Tell me who you are. Tell them why you're here. I'm Simon Quigley. I'm the director of operations at Speed here. Um, um, yeah. And why are you in Grand Forks? Why? Uh, what, what brings you out of your uh, digs in Wisconsin? And I thought I'd come ahead and help out because things are getting really, really busy here. We're busy with clients. We're busy with a bunch of different projects. And yeah. I thought I'd come by and help. Yeah. It's true. So what do you think? You've, you've ever been to our Grand Forks? Uh, you've, you've, you've done work at our clients in, in Wisconsin. You've been in Minnesota, but you've, you've not been here to, to Speed Technologies or to the Ask Noah show. So, uh, but you've, I mean, you've hosted with me. But you've never been, uh, you've right. never actually seen the studio. So, what do you think? I think it's pretty great. Um, you know, with Ultraspeed headquarters, it's a little bit small, but we do a lot of our work, um, you know, on on site with the clients. So, yeah. it really goes to show that, you know, we're focused on providing clients a good experience. We're and we're focused on actually servicing the client while you know, Ultraspeed's base. We're just focusing on getting the job done. You know, I, li- I like that. That's a good. That's a good way to twist that. So, you've ta- yeah, <clears throat> we don't have we don't have a, a, an elaborate uh, facility. Here, you know, but but we do all of our work remotely, so it doesn't matter if you in Grand Forks or if you're in Timbuktu, we can serve you the same, right? Because we've <laughs> good. I like that. Okay, all right, yeah. So I, I guess let's talk about. I I wasn't going to talk about it, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about some of the. I was going to mention the uh, the um, the partnership. I was going to talk about that. Maybe maybe you can fill us in since you're the one working on it. Right. So the um, so Ultraspeed Technologies is partnering with Lubuntu, and we're going to be offering. Um, Sometime soon, we're going to start offering support for Lubuntu through Altispeed Technologies. This is commercial support, correct? Okay, so I have I'm I'm a Linux user, or I want to be a Linux user. Somebody convinced me to be a Linux user. This crazy Indian guy comes around, puts a sticker on my laptop that says "No, switch me to Linux," and uh, and I, <clears throat> for whatever reason, maybe I have older hardware. Is that still the focus of Lubuntu, at least at this point? At this point, with the with the eighteen oh four release, yeah, it is. It is one of the focuses. But going forward, we're we're, we're going to look at providing just a light experience that you can get stuff done on. So I have an older laptop, something like that, and um, you know, I've installed Ubuntu on it, or somebody recommended I install Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. Now I have to use that computer for work, and and I don't mind paying either a small monthly fee or or paying up front. But I need to know that when something happens with that machine, that I can call somebody to you know to to help me, and so if Altispeed mm-hmm. Technologies happens to have the uh, the 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 release manager on staff, well, it's a pretty good chance. That you, I, I'm guessing you know a few folks who might be able to solve some Lubuntu issues. Right, right. 
I mean, you might you might have an email or something. Maybe you could yeah. maybe you could ping somebody in IRC. You know exactly. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that's cool. I, I I like that. And you you know you're doing a couple other things that are pretty neat. Um. Uh. You know you're you're working on redoing our web page. Um. You're working on a new uh, logging system. So we have a lot of remote clients that you're. I don't. And that's open source. I guess we could even talk about that, right? Right. So tell me what the system does. So it's basically just a small system where um, if we don't have the you know, with dynamic IP, sometimes the public IP of a client changes. And if we need access to um, to some of their systems, if that changes, we don't have access to that. So what we're what we're looking to implement is something completely open source. It's written in just PHP um, that would take that IP and send it to one of our technicians so that they can do work on that um, on that computer without having to constantly ask them to do something. All they have to do is go on one of the computers that are um, on that connection. They just have to visit a site and it will, like I said, send our technicians that IP. So th so now we're not, because a lot of times what we're doing is telling people to go to this site or that site or the other, and then we're having them read information back to the technician. That's, that's right. inefficient. You looked at that and you're like, no, this, and that that's one of the things that is advantageous. Why I like, why I do like actually having you here is when you're, you're watching that and you're out with our technicians and you're saying, listen, there is a better way to do this and we need to implement that. We need, we need, we need to draw that up. And so you, as you're looking at that, and I'm watching you go through and saying, listen, and, and the other thing I like is you never come to me with just a problem. You come to me with a problem and a solution in hand. Hey, here's the problem I came up with. Here's the solution I wrote. Look at it. What do you think? Is that cool? Yes. It, it, we're going to open source it. We're going to put it up on GitHub. And all you have to do is deploy GitLab. GitLab. Sorry. My apologies. GitLab. We're going to deploy a server. We're going to, you're just going to install the Git client and um, mm -hmm. put it in a cron job. And that's it. Right. Git pull. Yep. And then my server works. And now, now we've got this new infrastructure. That's pretty cool. I like that. Well, thanks. So I appreciate having you on the program. Thanks for coming again. Phone lines are open. 1-855-450-NO. That's 855-456-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Mr. Simon Quigley in the house joining us for this hour of the Ask Noah Show. Did you follow this uh, WPA supplicant? Uh, uh, sorry, WPA3 thing that came out? I'm following a little bit. All right. I want to I dive into this. Now, usually I give you the site, the the name of the primary source that I'm using, and uh, and then I read the headline, and then I read a snippet of the article. The reality is, at this particular, this particular innovation, basically what has happened is there is a new security system for wireless and and I, I i have long since held that there is no substitute for the privacy of an actual wired connection i i believe that's even today but what what i where i think the value in in wireless is is that it's one of those things that the ship has already sailed regardless of what i think about it everybody's using it and so we need to provide the most secure robust wireless that we can and right now there are a number of problems with uh, security with WPA2. Now, that's not surprising because WPA2 is 14 years old. And most recently, researchers found a flaw in WPA2 called the crack vulnerability, which could let attackers on the same Wi-Fi network access your internet traffic without a password. Now, we gave you a detailed explanation after hours of meticulous research at Ask Noah Show 30, doing lines of Wi-Fi. So you can pick up that episode of podcast.asknoahshow.com slash 30 if you'd like to if you'd like to, to to catch back up on the crack vulnerability, but if you are a if you're using professional grade WPA3 enterprise security, then your you stand to gain a lot by upgrading to the WPA3 standard. They are going to be rolling out for the enterprise 192-bit encryption, and uh, that will make the data tougher to crack. Now, there's a couple of main advantages, there's four of them really, that 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 have come up with what WPA4 is going to solve. Um, the first is that there is an easier connection process for w devices without displays. 
Now, if you think about 14 years ago where we were at, Wi-Fi was a thing that came on a PCMCIA card that you slid into your laptop computer and, and connected up. I mean, that's how we dealt with Wi-Fi, you know, back in 2003 or 2004, whatever it was. These days, Wi-Fi is on everything. Wi-Fi is on our phones. Wi-Fi is on our light switches. Wi-Fi is on our Echoes. Wi-Fi is everywhere. And we need a way to connect all of those devices to Wi-Fi. Now, at the moment, quite legitimately, there is no way for those devices directly to connect to Wi-Fi. You either have to use an app on your smartphone, uh, you know, something like that. Uh, that's the only way that you can actually point those devices to a Wi-Fi connection. By the way, uh, one, one true free writes, can I ask questions through email? You absolutely can, sir. Uh, as Simon pointed out, live at asknoahshow.com. We'll read those live on the air. But there are some issues with WPA3 and, uh, and, and, and W, or sorry, pardon me, WPA2 rather, and WPA3 seeks to correct that. Now, the biggest thing to me, because they haven't really elaborated on how they're going to fix this easier connection process for devices without displays or for small displays. So I can't really give you a whole lot of details on how they plan on fixing that. They just say that they are. But the, the thing that really stood out to me with WPA3 and what I'm really personally excited about is currently open Wi-Fi networks. And when I say open Wi-Fi networks, I'm talking about Wi-Fi networks that, you know, like we at Speed Technology set up inside airports and hotels and coffee shops and so on and so forth. If you're a business, we tell businesses as part of our sales pitch that Wi-Fi is like running hot water. You have to have hot water if you want people to frequent your establishment because people expect Internet there. But because they're open, they allow anybody to connect, traffic sent over them isn't encrypted at all. Now, I'm not talking about network traffic, okay? There is wireless traffic, and then there is network traffic. And yes, the wireless traffic is network traffic, but I'm talking about the wireless link. I'm talking about the link from your computer, the radio waves that are modulated and sent over the air to the access point before they hit the wired Ethernet cable. That's the link I'm talking about. And, and unfortunately, our vernacular, our terminology is really not set up to have this discussion very well. But when I say wireless traffic, that's what I'm talking about. And uh, it's sent in, in plain text. And that doesn't matter if we're talking about, and it, a lot of people think if they have the little stupid captive portal thing where it loads a web page and then you sign in on password, everything over that connection is sent in plain text and people can intercept it. Now, the rise of HTTPS means that even though all of the wireless traffic is sent unencrypted. The packets that that have a tunnel, an HTTPS tunnel, those packets are encrypted before they ever leave your computer. And so by that nature, it's safer. But anytime you're connecting to an HTTP page, which are not unheard of, all of that data is being translated or transmitted in plain text. Now, even on secured networks, and I use that term loosely, but I'm talking about networks that have a WPA2 key, networks that have WEP, whatever, uh, as if WPEP is secure. But if, even if you have tried to implement some sort of security, you're still not in a perfect world. Because in a traditional wireless network, one that is secured with WPA2, which is the most common at the moment, all users share the same Wi-Fi password, and that password is tied to the encryption key that is used to encrypt and decrypt the network traffic, the wireless traffic. And so the issue with that is everybody on the entire wireless network shares the same encryption keys. 
And of course, the issue with that is now you have locked out all like it's not it's no longer wide open. So you have people you ha it's not just everybody that's around that has a has a computer that can see this traffic. But you still have anybody that is authenticated onto the network, which can still be a lot of people, certainly in a public place. If SSL is in place, again, you have network separation at the switch in place. You have SSL that is that is helping encrypting that traffic. But again, the wireless traffic itself, as it travels from the user's computer to the network, if it's on the same ID with the same password, could be intercepted. WPA, WPA3 changes this because now you might still have a shared password. But when that user enters that password, a separate public-private key pair is generated for every user on that network. So instead of the entire network having a single shared key, and anyone with a password can decrypt all of the traffic, you now have, you now have separate keys for every user. And so that provides infinitely more security. And that's where I'm most happy with. The second thing I was most happy with to see is that they are, they are making it more difficult to handle offline cracking. So the way that offline cracking works is with WPA2, you can sniff wireless traffic. And once you have that Wi-Fi handshake, you can then take that traffic, you can then take that home and you can try millions and billions of passwords. It's just a matter of time and computing power. That's all it takes. To any password can be broken with enough time and computing power. Now, when we start getting into the hundreds of millions of years, you start exceeding your life many, many times over. And so it becomes irrelevant that it is possible to break it given every computer in the world over 10 million years. And so we don't, but, but it always comes down to a function of power of computer and time. And so the issue with WPA2 cracking is most people tend to choose simpler passwords for their Wi-Fi network. And not only can these people take this off home or take it home offline and begin working on cracking that password and decrypting it. The worst part is they don't need any further network access to continue doing this. And you'll never have any idea that this sort of thwarting of your security is happening until, of course, he shows back up with your Wi-Fi password and connects. So we have, uh, and I'll just make a little plug here. We have made a, we have a site that we run called micaptive.com, A-M-I-C-A-P-T-I-V-E.com, micaptive.com. And what micaptive.com does is it, it gets around an issue of captive portals breaking SSL. So what do I mean by captive portals breaking SSL? Well, when you connect to a, to a network it can be have a WPA2 key or it can be open, doesn't matter. One of the things that hotel franchises, for example, require us at AltaSpeed Technologies to do. So even if you have one of our networks, you may run into this. When you first open up a web page, it redirects all IP addresses, no matter what you're trying to resolve. Every DNS IP address resolves to our captive portal system. And then it displays a page. And then you enter in the password for the uh, for the for the wireless network, and then it then it forwards everything back on. There's a there's actually a couple different ways to actually get that captive portal to pop up, but for that's the simplest, most straightforward way to explain it. But the issue is we are interrupting that SSL uh, that that SSL process, that SSL handshake. If you're going to Google.com, we're redirecting you back to ours, and so then sometimes you wind up with getting these errors that say that this is not a secure site, and of course if you click accept or trust that site now you're trusting our ip address server as a, as you know as it it's just it's just the whole thing is a mess the whole thing is a, is an entire security nightmare
for us and for you. And we don't like doing it. It's just we're required by our contracts with the hotel franchise to, to implement some of the stuff that we find to be reprehensible and stupid, quite honestly. And uh, so we set up a site called micaptive.com. What micaptive does is it is a site that we will always maintain it as an HTTP site. So there is no SSL on that site. And the advantage to visiting that site is it won't it won't screw up any of your security stuff. And you can go there and you'll get redirected to our captive portal. And, well, one of two things will happen. If, you're, if you haven't authenticated in the captive portal, you'll be redirected to the captive portal and you can type in the password and proceed. If you have been authenticated in the captive portal, then you'll just see a little thing that says, congratulations, you're online. And it works on all captive portals. So micaptive.com. Now, when are you guys, when is WPA3 going to be available? Well, according to the Wi-Fi Alliance, and the Wi-Fi Alliance is basically a group that device manufacturers uh, apply to to get certification. Say, yep, this is WPA2 certified, WPA3 certified. They are saying that WPA3 will be released later in 2018. Now, devices must be certified for WPA3 in order for you to get these features. In other words, that every device manufacturer is going to have to apply to receive the Wi-Fi certified WPA3 certification mark. And so, you're, there's a lot of routers and and access points and systems that are not going to be compatible with the WPA3 because they're not going to be able to push the firmware update. Now, if you are an AltaSpeed Technologies managed service client, in other words, if you have paid us and you know that you don't, if you have to, essentially, if you log into our customer portal to change your Wi-Fi password or SSID or anything, or if you're adding users, if you have authentication set up, if you do any of those things, you are one of our managed service providers. I guess another way to say it is if you get a bill every month from us, you're one of our managed service, uh, excuse me, customers. If that's you, you don't have to worry about any of this because you're you're going to get WPA3 uh, not only for free, but just automatically, it's just going to show up one day. We reached out to our hardware vendors, and um, all of them are pushing out updates for uh, for their hardware. Now, most of our managed service systems, as it relates to Wi-Fi, is on the Ubiquiti system. So I talked to a couple different people, and uh, the AC, AC Lite, AC uh, Long Range, AC Pro, AC HD, Nano HD, Mesh, and Mesh Pro are all getting updates to WPA3. So essentially, just if you have the the old one, the Unify, just the Unify AP, so the little one with the green glowing ring, you won't get WPA3. All Basically, everything else will if you're on our systems. So that's kind of cool. one eight fifty five noah that's 855-450-6624, the email, live at asknoahshow.com. Make your voice heard, become a part of the program. Now, uh, one of the, th this is, uh, somebody else asked about an email too, and, um, you can send us an email live on the air. The only thing we ask is keep them brief enough that I can actually read these on the air. So this is probably on the on the limit of what I can read, but we're going to we're going to go for it. So it says, "Hi Noah, I was listening to a recent episode of the Ask Noah show. Not sure of exactly which episode it was, and there was a listener that called in and asked Noah how to fix tearing during video playback. Like me, the listener was running Ubuntu Mate and they were using an Intel GPU. I have noticed that I have suffered from video tearing when playing videos with MPV under Ubuntu." And I had noticed the same thing that the laptop and display didn't suffer tearing when I played 4K videos under Windows 10. When I had to install it once, Noah advised the listener to run, to run, not walk, to return his machine to Dell as he suspected there was a hardware fault. As it turns out, video tear playback 
is disabled by default for Intel GPU users under Ubuntu Mate 18.04, as well as earlier releases. To, to enable it, the user must create Etsy slash x11 slash export.conf file, and then he gives an example. And of course, we'll have a link to that example in the show notes. Using this xconfig gives me tear-free video 4K playback with MPV under Ubuntu Mate. Please forward this on to Noah. I hope that helps. Thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks, Dan, for sending that in. And of course, uh, we're going to read that verbatim on the air because I, I don't. I remember this issue, but if I rem if I recall correctly, and I, I guess I'd have to go listen to the playback on the call. And I, I admit that I have a memory of a goldfish, so I could be off on this. But I, I believe I asked him if the if this persisted across any other distributions, not just Ubuntu Mate. And I also believe I said reach out to Dell and find out. I didn't say just return the machine. I said go reach out to them because it. It's, it's a hardware enablement stack from Dell. Dell officially supports Linux on their machines. So if you're having trouble with Linux on one of their machines, talk to them and say, hey, this is an issue. And uh, I would expect Dell to say, well, if you're running Ubuntu Mate, you know, there's this is the issue or whatever. And I happen to know that Barton George, who is very high up in the Linux on Dell at Dell, is uh, friends with Martin Wimbers, who is the head of the Ubuntu Mate project. So... Um, I think that advice still stands. I'd still probably reach out to Dell, but I would give this a shot. Uh, let's see if this works first. And uh, again, we'll have that link in the show notes for you, podcast.asknoahshow.com. Again, open phones, one 855 noah That's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. James joins us from, uh, well, we don't know where James is. Hey, James, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, I need to set up a, a new uh, st uh, streaming server for video, and I need to know what is the budget on the CPU side, because I can't compare my old Dell to anything for reference. What's your budget? And I didn't... I'm trying to keep it very low, because it's like $250. Like $250. Yeah, for two hundred fifty for two hundred fifty dollars, you can actually get something done. Um, there is a there is a hardware version. There's a hardware RTMP encoder that is available, and I'll have a link in the show notes. We actually used them at Southeast Linux Fest. Um, but essentially, it, it is a device that you buy on Amazon Prime, and I don't. I think they're right around that range, James. I think they're right around that two to three hundred dollars somewhere in there, two hundred fifty bucks maybe. And uh, what it does, it's just a hardware device that encodes whatever uncompressed video you send it, and then sends that out over an RTMP stream. Does that sound like that would work for you? No, the, the, the computer I'm using is dying. It's an old um, dual core, and I need a, I don't know if I can use a Celeron-based system or if that would be too low of a processor or not. No, you can. I've done, so, it, on, I've done it on Celerons, but I've done it on, I've, I've actually, I have do, I've run OBS on something as low as a Core 2 Duo. I have just done it with, um, with very low resolution. I don't even know if it was 7, yeah, I guess it was 720p. I've done 720p. I just don't do a lot of video sources at the same time, and of course, you don't have every graphic asset that you add on there, every frame, every animation, Everything that you want to layer on top of there, of course, adds to that. The thing about OBS that I really like about it, the open broadcaster software, the thing that's really terrific is it uh, it sips CPU usage. So I'll give you an example. Right now here at the Ask Noah Show, and we have, granted, we have probably a slightly nicer than average uh, machine that we're using. That's not anything crazy, though. It's just, you know, it's a stock Dell, stock Dell uh, Optiplex. Um but we have we are we are streaming to one site. We are in we are recording. We are underneath it. We are recording the audio and we are uh, transcoding the audio for uh, for a test thing that might come out sometime in the future. Anyway, the point is, we're we're sitting at fifteen point two percent CPU usage. 
Okay, so OBS really just sips CPU, really doesn't use very much at all. So yeah, you can absolutely get away with a, a lower computer. But again, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, you can check it out. It might not be for you, but those hardware RTMP coders are, are pretty cool things because they remove the ability for you to have to try to uh, compare. Is this the right, is this, will this computer run? Will that computer run? I can, you can pretty much be guaranteed if you buy this thing and feed it a video source, RTMP will come out the other side. And uh, looking at it on Amazon.com, it's actually 158 bucks. So, I mean, well below your budget. And, uh, and of course, we know these things are just, you know, they're little computers that are probably running FFmpeg in them, you know. But that's what I would do, James. Uh, I would uh, I'd take a look at one of these hardware encoders. And, of course, if you want to use a sl slightly less powerful machine, that's something you could definitely do. Again, open phones this hour, one 855 noah 855-450-6624. The email, live at Ask Noah Show. Dot com make your voice heard become a part of the program so uh yeah again a little bit of confusion with our uh, email system you've sent an email to live at asknoahshow.com we are going to read that email live here on the air I've, we've got a system here that spits that email out and so chat room is asking about that and, and i'll uh i'll keep this open here it looks like we actually just got another one so we'll uh, we'll get this one pulled up we'll go uh while i while i do that we'll go over to jack in chip Sagan. is that right is that how i pronounce that uh, Chicago, Chicago. Okay, uh, don't know how. That's a uh, that's an all new uh, it's an all new screw up. Anyway, hey, hey, Jack, how can we help today? <laughs> it's a very special neighborhood, Chicago. <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we've never heard of that in the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to do some hosting. Um, I have some like servers that are trying to run tests and other things like that. I'm a software engineer, and okay. I don't want to host in a VPS. And I don't want to host for my home. Um, kind of, how would I go about? I, I'm imagining the only other option is a colo, but how would I go about it? And like, what are the costs involved? Sure. Uh, so, so you actually have a you you might have more options than than you even know. Uh, so I'll 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 answer your direct question first, then I'll give you some other ideas too. So, the answer to your question about a colo is. They, a, a colo, for those of you that don't know, a, a, a colo stands for co-location. So basically, you instead of having your own data center where you have to provide cooling and power and redundant internet and, and physical security to keep people from breaking into the servers and all of that, there are places that have 42U racks and they will rent you various spots on those racks for various prices. So my f the the go-to choice for Colo in the United States is probably Hurricane Electric. And to give you an idea of a price, Hurricane Electric will charge you just north of 500 bucks a month for a 42U rack. Now, the issue with renting Colo space is not necessarily in the rack space. It's not in the cooling. It's not in the internet speeds. Those are ev everything. Always, everybody always asks about those. Interestingly enough, that's not where the limitation is. The limitation is in power physical power that is provided to the rack. So a 15 amp service is much different than a 20 amp service, different than a, four, you know, a 50 amp service, whatever. And they will charge you, uh, the, the price goes up exponentially depending on price. And of course, that's because cooling and all of these things draws a lot of power. And so whatever you plug into that rack, you're drawing power. And so if you have more efficient CPUs, obviously you can get away with spending less per month, but it costs more upfront. And if you have CPUs that run very hot and you have to have more fans and more cooling and all of that, all, all of that kind of plays into it. So you want to pay attention to how many machines you're going to run. Now, if you're just running a single machine, you're obviously you're not going to come anywhere close to having to worry about power, right? 
So for smaller places and where I personally would colo if I was going to if I was going to do what you're doing, I would do it at a place, a little place that I don't think it's very well known called Joe's Data Center. And I know it doesn't sound world class, but believe me, the guy is. Have you heard of it? No, I just love the name. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 and a lot of people have it. It's in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, and Joe's Data Center. It he does everything. For, the, the 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 thing that I really like about Joe's Data Center is when you go up and say, "I want to rent, uh, I want a colo with you," he will charge you uh, as low as fifty bucks a month for a mid tower. So instead of saying, "Oh, I need to rent a forty two U rack for five hundred dollars a month so I can put my two U server in there." It's, it gets to be kind of ridiculous, right? And so you're paying for for a vast majority of things that you're not using. And up until up until Joe's data center came around, the best choice that we had was you would go in with it with a couple of your buddies. So you might call me or you might call a friend of yours and say, hey, I want a colo a server. You want a colo a server. Would you go in on a data center with me and I'll take, you know, eight U's and you take eight U's and we'll, we'll, we'll split the cost of the data center. That was one way to do it. Well, Joe's data center will do that for you. And I'm not, I'm not affiliated with Joe's data center. This isn't an ad read. I've never gotten a dime from him. It's just, he's just a a great guy that does a really good job. Um, so they'll rent like a mid tower server colo for 50 bucks a month. And you can just put your tower over there. And he has racks that are they're the little like uh, Sam's club um, racks that have like the little wire shelves on them. So you can actually set desktop towers in there. I think if you go to his website, I think he's got some pictures there. Um, but you could do a full yeah, tower. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It is kind of neat, isn't it? And then he's got the actual traditional rack, so you can get like uh, you can get five U rack for sixty five bucks. You can get a quarter cabinet, so that's like ten U's for like three hundred bucks. Then you can do the full cabinet for seven twenty five. Full disclosure: at the point that you do a full forty two U rack, I would go back to Hurricane Electric because it's going to be cheaper. But uh, but yeah, for what you're doing. I would totally give this guy a call and say, hey, is this something you could do? Now, here's here's another. So that's did I answer your question? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have some other like kind of, you know, side questions, too. But sure. this, is, this is the big this is the big part that I really couldn't figure out. OK, I'll, I'll tell you what, let me uh, let me let me further expound on this for a second and then I'll come back to you and we can I'll answer your side questions even. <clears throat> OK, so uh, what I, so that's this is what I would do if I was only going to do. If I was only going to pick one of the options that you gave me, said I want to call, I want I, I don't want to host a VPS. I want to I just want to colo. What could I do? Now here's what we actually do at AltaSpeed Technologies. We have we have also gotten to the point where DigitalOcean is a great service. I really like them. They do a really great job. Very powerful machines, not very much money. Yeah, they do a great job. Until you start until you look up and your DigitalOcean bill a month is eight hundred dollars a month. And you look down, and you're like, well, I have so many VPSs that I've legitimately had to ask them to lift the ban on or the the limit on my account so I could spin up more VPSs. Now, to their credit, every one of those VPSs worked great, and I I paid the same price that anybody else would pay. It's just there becomes a point in at every business where the, it becomes more cost effective to start virtualizing your own hardware than to continue to pay to use somebody else's virtualized hardware. And so that's eventually just where we naturally got to with with uh, with VPS hosting is it just started to make sense for us to host our own stuff. And what we have actually done is we didn't actually colo. We went to a place called OVH and OVH is a Canadian subsidized server company and we rented a dedicated server. So it's kind of like co-locating, except they bought the server. And if the server ever dies, they have to give us a new server under our contract with them. And uh, I, I don't know exactly what we're paying, Jack. If I'm being honest with you, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 65 bucks a month. So it's about $15 more than what Joe's data center is. The issue is if anything ever happens to that server, I pick up my phone and I call and say, Oi, my server's down. 
give me a new one. And they go, oh, sorry about that, eh? And plug a new one in, and now it's back up. Whereas with Joe's Data Center, if anything happens to the server, you're you're taking a vacation to Kansas City, Missouri, to uh, to put a new server in, or at the very least, you're shipping it and paying us a, a, a you know tech t- hands to go and 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 plug that stuff in. And let me tell you something. If there's anybody out there that has never done Colo before, what the, the fastest way to burn through your profit margin is paying the data center technicians to do the work because they are expensive. Yeah. So you've actually interestingly gone through kind of the same path I went through. I started with DigitalOcean. Okay. I absolutely love them. And if you're a programmer, DigitalOcean gives you the closest access that I found to the CPUs. I was using yes. like some software to count the performance counters to see how many cache hits and misses and things I was getting. And their, their info that they like let you get from their CPUs is great for VPSs. Then went to OVH and now I'm kind of taking the next step up. So um, that's really interesting. I really love all those providers. I think the next question I have is like, if you start doing a lot of um, just odd network traffic, uh, I own like all the servers that I'm sending traffic to mm. because I'm doing like, performance stuff and testing and like custom software. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I get notices uh, and like, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, is there any way to kind of mitigate that? Like, is there any way to be like, I know what's going on. These are all my things. Like, you know, I'm, I'm you know, please don't shut off my server type thing. Um, I think I know what you're talking about. Are you referring to the fact that OVH sends you messages, for example, every time you log into the control panel kind of a thing? No, I used to get mostly with Linode was the worst, where they would send me tickets being like your servers from compromised. Oh like, yeah, 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 yeah. Sending weird packets. Yeah, I've actually gotten servers shut off on me, so like. Yeah, so to a certain degree, that depends on what you're running on those servers. So I'll give you an example. I, I, I don't, I, I know where you're coming from because I have gotten a couple of those too, and, and especially when you read an email and it says something like. At three in the morning when nobody was up, your server had a problem for 35 seconds. We rebooted the host node and then everything was fine 37 seconds later. And so now everything is fine. And like, I got an email when it went down. I got an email when they were working on it. And I got an email when it came back. And because all of that occurred, transpired over 37 seconds, I, I got three emails in a minute. And it's like, you're just cluttering up my email box. The truth of the matter is, though, there are people that that their infrastructure like every minute matters to them to the, for their infrastructure and so they do care about that kind of stuff so i don't know if there's a way to to mitigate to mitigate some of those things as far as the emails of your server has been compromised i you know the a lot of the stuff we run because we still have i mean we still have a lot of stuff hosted with DigitalOcean, but uh we don't get many of those emails on most of that stuff the one the the few boxes that we do seem to have problems with are the ppx's uh, they seem to be really, they really, really attract people to try to knock up, bang on them and, and try and knock them down. And uh, and so we frequently get emails on those. And the way that we have found to mitigate that is just to better secure the box. So we firewall them off so you can't get to them through the outside. We set up VPN so you have to be VPNed in to actually access any of the administrative functions. And basically we just allow phones to authenticate, uh, you know, over the, over the public internet. Okay, okay. So there's not really a whole lot you can tell to a provider to be like, don't worry. They they just get like automated things and they'll open up tickets if they see weird traffic. Right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks well, for the call. Check out Joe's data center. Yeah, please do. And if you're if you're uh, if you're listening to us on the rerun, make sure to check out Joe's data center. We'll have a link for you in the show notes. Again, open phone lines one eight fifty five four fifty no. That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at ask Noah show. Dot com become part of the program 
make your voice heard, all that good stuff. Alan is calling from Arizona. Hey, Alan, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi there. Thank you very much. Hey, how can we help today? Uh, so I was curious about um, data collection in, in the Linux environment, uh, particularly that of Ubuntu, um, what Canonical has done, you know, collecting sort of diagnostic data, system information data during, you know, like install. Um, and what personally I would consider to be, you know, non-privacy uh, invading, but what I think others probably weren't so keen on. Um, I was wondering if, like, the, the public release of that data, which is planned, I believe, sometime by the next the next release, mm-hmm. I wonder if that kind of thing would potentially skew the, the collection of this data positively in the, the Linux environment, or whether you think that maybe it could potentially remain the same. Uh, no, I think it's almost certainly going to uh, going to let people ease up a little bit. The, the, the thing is that I have... so. Being in Linux media is kind of a weird thing because I have I have integrity and the people that I work with or have built relationships know that I have integrity. And so people are willing to share information with me off the air that I can't talk about on the air. And we both Chris and I have been afforded that privilege and both I would say that both of us have that privilege because of the way that we treat information when people ask ask us to, you know, to be discreet about it. And uh, what that does, even though we can't talk about it publicly, is it shapes our opinion and it forms our opinion. And um, so right when this first came out, both Chris and I, I didn't talk about it as much as he did on the air, but both of us thought this was an idiotic, this was way overreacting. That Canonical is really not, they're not abusing the, they're not abusing their power. The information that they are collecting is not that invasive at all. They let you know, and they're, they give you a way to opt out if you don't want to participate in that. But understand, and I, I believe it was Alan Pope that said this, he said, you have to understand something like, we do the best we can to provide you a quality product at the price that you're giving it to, which is, by the way, free. And the only thing that we're asking in return is that we can take information that isn't private, that's not, it's not sensitive information. It's literally just this thing is, this thing is happening and, and, and here's what happened and here's why it happened and here's at a technical level how we can fix it. They let you see all of that information before they send, before they send it out um, with the report tool, with the Ubuntu report tool. Uh, and then it sends it back to Canonical, and then they use that information anonymously to fix their operating system that they gave you for how much was? Oh yeah, free. Uh, so, and Will Cook has a really great write up about this, and we'll have that linked for you in the show notes, blog.ubuntu.com. And uh, and and he he explains a lot of this and talks a lot of bit about this, and I, I think it's I think it explains it way better than I ever could. But certainly, I think when that when that information starts to get out in public and people start seeing that, and they go, oh, okay, well that's no big deal. That's no big deal at all. I don't care if they have that information. I absolutely think it'll swing in the in in a positive light. Okay, so not only is it incredibly transparent, it directly contributes to your experience on the system. Oh, absolutely. It direct, directly contributes to your experience, and it also gives valuable data back to Canonical to inform future changes. And I'll give you an example about that uh, that I couldn't talk about at the time. I can talk about it now. The 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 de- they they went originally to. Wayland because they wanted to collect data on how the Wayland experiences. Now that's not canonical sitting back and going, Ooh, let's find out who all is using uh, Wayland uh, so we can spy on them. And uh, no, it's not, it's not any of that. It's, it's, they want to say how many people are having a bad experience on Wayland and should we, 
as compared to how many people are having a bad experience on the very outdated X server? And when do we need to make that change? Is it the appropriate time? So they tried it right before the LTS, collected enough data to know how many people were using the 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 Wayland system and, and what their experience was like, and then ultimately made a decision not to incorporate that in the LTS. Now, if there's a bunch of people out there that said, I don't want Canonical to know if I'm having a bad experience, I I demand I demand the right to privacy to 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 suffer in silence. <laughs> and nobody can know that Wayland is not working well for me. If if there was a large enough group of people that had done that, Canonical would sit back and look at the metrics and go, well, there's hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people that have installed Wayland and none of them are complaining. So it must be great. Let's go ahead and ship it to the LTS. Oh, what is, uh, what a, I mean, talk so about cutting up. ended up in a negative experience. Oh, for sure. I mean, talk about cutting your face off despite your, your, your head off despite your face. I, it would have been, it would have been horrendous. I, I mean, I switched off of Gnome because of the, because of the issues with, uh, with, with Wayland. I mean, it's horrendous. You lose all your work quite literally. Uh, so I, I, you know, it's one of those things where I, I think that it's over, I think that people overreacted and I'm glad to see that there are people like you that are, are, are looking at it critically. And, uh, and I'm also glad to see that canonical has gone about this in such a, such, such, such the right way being so transparent about it. Again, open phones this hour, one 855 that's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. The Supreme Court handed down a landmark opinion in the Carpenter versus United States ruling five to four that the Fourth Amendment protects cell phone location information. In an opinion by Chief Justice Roberts, the court recognized that the information location collected by cell phone providers like Sprint, AT&T and Verizon creates a detailed chronicle of a person's physical presence compiled every day, every moment over years. As a result, police must now get a warrant before obtaining this data. This is a major victory. Cell phones are essential to modern life, but the way that cell phones operate by constantly connecting to towers to exchange data makes it impossible for cell phone providers to collect information on everyone. Uh, makes it makes it possible rather for cell phone providers to collect information on everywhere that phone has been. And by extension, the phone's owner for years. As the and and so the article goes on to talk about how the court noted that not only does this kind of information allow the government to archive just like this perfect surveillance system, but it's actually a little bit more insidious because the phone companies collect that information long before they ever even know if the police need that information or not, and so the police can go back retroactively and say, well, now I want to go follow that person around uh, for the last fifteen years. And the example, I think, I, I don't remember where I heard this, but the example that I heard that really that really shines a light on modern surveillance and how it applies to our constitutional rights here in the United States is that if you, for example, took a photo with a camera and that photo contained, uh, and then you went and committed a murder, let's say, or suspected of committing a murder and you, you land at the airport and they look through and they say, okay, here is the roll of film that this guy was traveling with. Since he just got back from committing a murder, there is the there is a chance that there is a picture that might tie him to the crime. So let's go ahead and look through this roll of film. So they take your 25, 26 pictures, whatever's on a roll of film. I don't know. Don't use film. And um, they would develop it and say, uh, nope, these are all innocent pictures. Or, yep, there's something that, that ties it here. And we went through the process and we went through due process, got a warrant. We searched this roll of film. Fast forward to 2018. You're going through an airport and same situation, you get back suspected of committing a murder and they say, well, we want to go through his phone 
to see if there's any pictures that tie him to the murder. Well, the issue there is you're not just going through the 26 last pictures that he took on the trip. Now you have access to my Google photo library. You have access to all of my pictures dating back 15 years. You have access to my entire Google account, which means all of my Google Docs and all of my email. So the way that the Fourth Amendment has to be applied in 2018 is a very different way than it has been applied in the past. And so the argument for years and years and years that they used for the cell phone location thing was what they called the third-party doctrine. And that was developed by the Supreme Court back in the 70s, and it basically goes something like this. You contracted with Verizon Wireless to provide you cell phone company or cell phone service. Verizon Wireless, as part of their customer agreement with you, told you that they were going to collect information on your location so that they could better track where their devices were and to provide, you know, quality customer service and all of the things that big cell phone companies say to get you to, you know, blankly sign on the dotted line. And you signed that agreement. And so you voluntarily gave up your location data to Verizon and they are free to do with that data whatever they want because it's not your data, it's their data. Which MAC address is bouncing off of which tower and with what signal strength. And they also want to know which phones are activated or you know blacklisted or whitelisted on their network. And so they can tie that MAC address to a person if it's on an active account. So that, that's, that's, that's the first step. The second step is Verizon Wireless, and I'm just picking on Verizon because I, you know, just because it's, it could be Sprint or AT&T or whoever else, T-Mobile. Verizon Wireless then gave permission for the federal government or for law enforcement to audit their data on their towers and which devices on their networks were at what location at what time and cross-reference that information with their database that happens to correlate your name to that MAC address. And so they call it the third-party doctrine, the idea that the government doesn't need a search warrant to get your location data because you've already consented to giving it to Verizon and Verizon has already consented to giving it to the police. So there is a way for them to get that data without going through a, uh, a judicial process. And they said, uh, nope, uh, that's the Supreme Court looked at it and said, OK, that may have worked in 1970 when we were talking about, you know, phone records and stuff like that uh, and switch operators and whatnot. We don't think that applies today. And so we are we're not going to we're not going to let that stand. And so they went back and said, all right, from now on. Uh, we are going to we are going to explicitly recognize that individuals can maintain an expectation of privacy in information that they provide to third parties, and so the and and so the uh, so the court basically came out and said, yeah, you you can't do this unless you have a warrant to the federal government, and I think that's really fantastic. And the thing is, people, you know, we participate in this, you know, to a smaller extent, but we participate in this if we have if law enforcement comes to us, we install security systems and security camera systems and stuff like that. If one of our clients, if the police come to one of our clients and say, we want security footage from this hotel and this and the, and the hotel manager, the hotel owner says, yep, that's fine. We can do that. Let's call Alta B. They'll get them down here and we'll have them uh, burn you a DVD or whatever. And they call us up. They say, we want you to come down here. And we want the footage from this hall or the swim place or whatever it is. Right. I don't go there and say, listen, I'm a constitutional conservative. Do you have a warrant, Mr. Police Officer? Because you need a warrant if you want this. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. It's not my job. I my job is to serve our clients 
and that is to install the security system and that footage on that security system is their footage and they can do with it what they want up to and including giving it to a law enforcement official who doesn't have a valid warrant to possess that information if they want to do that and so i i you know i have i've seen this from i've seen this from all sides of it and i understand the position that you know, in, for example, Verizon is or or AT and T or T Mobile. I get where they're coming from. I get where the argument is. I understand where the other side is coming from. I just don't agree with it. And so I was really, really happy that that we have organizations like the EFF that are willing to take a stand and say, you know what, this is wrong, and we need to update these antiquated laws because they are not. They don't currently reflect protecting, uh, you know, our members or non-members because EFF will protect everybody's privacy. It should be hard to track something. This is something that James Comey and I don't agree on. In his book, he published all of these, uh, you know, all these snippets talking about how it's too difficult for law enforcement to track people. It's too difficult for law enforcement to to get in and, and look back information. It should be hard. I am I am perfectly okay if more times than not the federal government says, you know what? Here's the problem. We'd love to go ahead and prosecute and find these uh, find these people or look this stuff up. Unfortunately, we can't because uh, you know we didn't have a warrant beforehand, and so that information, you know, there's all these privacy protection things. So we j- we just can't solve that case using these means. Unfortunately, it happened before we had the warrant, so we just we really there's nothing we can do. I'm okay with that. That's fine. I'm similarly okay if the police can do their job. And and because the Fourth Amendment is not a protection for illegal activity, if they can do their job without violating the rights of Americans and they can bring people to justice more efficiently by using, you know, electronic means. Great. More power to them. I think they should. I will help you. I will. You know, our hourly rate is 75 bucks an hour. We will do that for you if you'd like. But you got to play within the rules. And right now we have turned our cell phones into ankle monitors for every man, woman and for 400 million for 400 million, 400 million devices that are active in the United States. They're ankle monitors, what they are. They're electronic monitoring. It, it, where any other country, any other time, any other way of looking at this, when we wanted to track 400 million people, you would absolutely have to have a warrant. And just because there are other benefits to this ankle monitoring device, it has a screen, it's made by Apple, or it's made by Samsung, all of a sudden now we just we give them a pass? No way. No way. Good job, EFF. Thank you very much for fighting for our freedom. Thank you very much for fighting for privacy. Thank you very much for standing up to these large companies for us because we the user appreciate that we the privacy advocate appreciate that again open phones this hour 1855 noah that's 855-450-6624 the email live at asknoahshow.com make your voice heard become a part of the program uh do we have this do we get this uh, pulled up i think we uh i saw one other email came in and then yeah here we go what is your opinion on pandoc is the internet bombarding me with it because I kind of liked it, or is it becoming a thing? Well, Pandoc, if you're not from, if it, I haven't played with it very much. It's an it's an open source software that converts documents. I used it one time for a guy, uh, a, another podcaster that I follow, uh, had a had a status on Facebook, and he was he wanted some some conversion stuff done, and I googled what tool can do this. I don't even remember what documents we were converting, and Pandoc came up, and I think I used it once, um, but I haven't played with it a whole lot. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I used it once. It looks really cool. And, uh, if you, if you have a need for the service, uh, absolutely give it a shot. Um, I, I just, I don't have a lot of experience. I don't, I don't do a lot of document conversions as it were. Again, open phone lines, one 855 noah 855-450-6624. The email live at com. Make your voice heard, become a part of the program. So we are hosting a, 
a logo contest. It's going to run through November, and we have had some amazing entries come in, some absolutely fantastic entries come in. In fact, so many good entries that, you know, we originally said we were just going to have a prize of 300 bucks. I think we're going to have to actually have a couple of prizes. That's going to be the whoever wins the competition, we're going to give them the 300 bucks. I think we're going to have to have some second and third place prizes because we got some entries this week um, that were just, I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, we have such talented people out in the audience, and uh, uh, some of the ones that, that come to mind, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Aaron, gentleman by the name of Carl, uh, gen- gentleman by the name of Kent. Th- these people sent in some really, really cool designs, uh, and uh, and so as I was looking, I was like, man, this is if this is week one and we're going to run this thing through November we got to do something to thank these people because if you put this much work into something to really helping us out to trying to better our brand and uh, and you don't have any guarantee of that anything comes of it uh i think we're gonna have to we'll have to throw some other things in there by the way james our first call tonight we're gonna send you a t-shirt so if you could shoot me an email with your t-shirt size we're gonna send you out a free t-shirt for the next month uh well nothing uh, where, where are we at with the am i allowed to announce this yeah i am okay so starting next week for the next four weeks all the way through july the first person to call into the ask no show to ask a question we're given a t-shirt now we open the phone lines around 30 to 4 15 minutes to 30 minutes before the show starts so if you want to be first you can you can call in and we will mail you a t-shirt wherever you are in the country or in the world as long i mean if you live in like you know if you live at the top of mount kilimanjaro and you know i can't get postage up there you might be out of luck but if we can reasonably get you a t-shirt without costing us an arm and a leg, we'll send one out to you. Now, something really exciting has happened, and I I can't really say something on the Ask Noah show has happened because, quite frankly, I've struggled the entire hour to decide if I was even going to talk about this. Uh, Simon's still here. Good. Uh, flip your mic back on. Um, some of you know that this show is syndicated with a local radio station. And um, I got involved with the radio station actually before I got involved with Jupiter Broadcasting. And uh, they had hired me to do some consulting work on their computer system. Of course, they're running all Linux and um, got involved with them and then eventually got involved with Jupiter Broadcasting. And I've kind of worked for both organizations simultaneously until the Ask Noah show came about. And that show is syndicated both on KEQQ 88.3 and FM in Grand Forks and on JBLive.TV. And uh, we even stream out of the studio here at AskNoahShow.com. But it, it has given me an insight into the world of radio. And it's opened up some connections to people in radio. And I've gotten to meet some really cool people. And what I found was, much like Linux, Linux is not just an operating system. It is a community. And radio is not just, uh, it's not just a business. It is a community. And uh, I, I have been welcomed with open arms for a lot of people that are in this industry, and they've been very awesome to work with. They've taught me a lot, and I, I just love everything about the industry. And one of the cool, one of the cool opportunities came about. Uh, our president, uh, Donald Trump, is giving a rally and is speaking at a rally in Fargo, North Dakota, about 70 miles south of here. And um, they reach out to media entities, and they just say, "Would you, uh, you know, would you be interested in?" coming out to the event and covering the event and, and, and so on and so forth. And so when the radio station got hold of me, he said, yeah, uh, are you interested in going? We will submit a request for you to, to, to be media. I said, yeah, that'd be great. So, uh, so we did, we submitted the, you know, all the paperwork, necessary paperwork or whatever to, to, to make that happen. And we heard back and they said, yeah, you guys are uh, KQQ will be officially live at the Donald Trump rally. And uh, we will be broadcasting uh, from the Donald Trump rally. 
And so what we're going to do, I spoke briefly with the station manager about this today. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take all of that. We're going to bring all of that audio into our studio. And then from here, we're going to send it up back out to the radio station. It's going to be broadcast live. Now, I typically stay away from politics on this show. It's not my brand. It's not what I do. I don't care if you are at the far right or the far left. Linux actually, it turns out, works great on on both on all y'all's computers. And I, I I don't care what your political beliefs are. I'm more than happy to help you. And if that's not your cup of tea, you can just you can ignore the you know the basically I guess the rest of the show. But uh, I we I think it's important. There have only been forty some presidents. Uh, in the United States, I don't care if it's Barack Obama. I don't care if it's Donald Trump. I don't care if it, it would have been Hillary Clinton. If I have the opportunity to speak with the leader of one of the most powerful countries in the world, I'm taking that opportunity um, because I think it's valuable. And because even if I, even if, even if we don't like who the leader is, we have to respect their position. And, uh, and so if you want to be a part of that, tweet me at Colonel Linux on Twitter and let me know what I should ask him if I'm given the opportunity to ask the president of the United States questions. I think that would be really cool. I think it's really nice that we have an administration that is willing to let small broadcasters like myself, I'm a nobody in the broadcasting world, you know, I don't work for NBC or ABC or whatever. And uh, it sounds like I might have the opportunity to talk to the president of the United States. At least the possibility exists. So if that happens, we're going to bring live coverage. Uh, we're, I, I, I talked to the uh, I talked to the White House press, or not the press secretary, but the, the office of the press secretary. I don't know if you remember what the, I don't remember the guy's name, but one of the people that is there that coordinates this stuff. And it's, it's just kind of cool to, you know, I'm emailing him and, and I'm saying, you know, well, how do I set up the As Noah show from there? He's like, well, here's what you do. And, and what, so that's been a cool experience. And so uh, if you'd like to participate in that, let me know. You can send me an email live at asknoahshow.com. You can tweet, tweet me on Twitter. At Colonel Linux, if you have a question for the president, I'd love to hear it. And if I have an opportunity, we'll get some audio for you. And of course, we'll carry that live. I see a caller in the, uh, in the, oh, no, he, he, he hung up. Okay. Then I guess I won't get to you. Simon, thanks a lot for coming in today. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. What do you think of the logos? I think the logos submissions we've had so far are really, really well done. Isn't that um, crazy? Yeah. Um, you, like you said, if this is just what we're getting so far, I'm really, really looking forward to see what we're going to get. Yeah, I, so we're going to run through November. So it'll be, I think, I really believe that this is the best way for a company like ours who, we're not an open source company. Like, I, I mean, we support open source solutions, you know, and all of that, but it's not like, I mean, our branding is still copywritten, right? Like we, right. you know, we, uh, we're evil that way. We don't let people use our trademarks and stuff like that. All the code we write, you know, is open source. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think, I, I think, you know, we, when you, we, when you first started working here and, you know, we had a discussion about stuff like that and I'm like, listen, if it's code and we're paying you to write it, it has to be open source. That's just, that's just the way we roll. Uh, so, you know, we, we try to respect that kind of stuff, but at the same time, like we have a brand to protect, we have a reputation to protect. And quite frankly, I don't know that there's any, I don't think I'm robbing the community of anything by saying, yeah, we're going to hang on to our, our logo. Although we did have a graphic designer that said he wouldn't work with us because we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't open source the, the, the graphic design that he made, mm. you know? So, I mean, or creative Commons, I guess, rather. But yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But I, I think that this is a really great way to go about, for especially for our business model, for us to get, uh, for us to get in, involved with this kind of stuff and and to make this stuff happen. So I, you know, if you're interested, logo at altaspeed.com. We'd love to have your submission. I'd love to take a look at if there's anybody out there that has an idea. Some people asked about the inspiration of it. Mm. It uh, it was originally two guys that bowed down to each other and it formed a mouse. If you kind of split the logo in half, you can kind of see that. But uh, but that that was the inspiration. Don't worry about it though. Whatever looks cool. Hey guys, did you know this? 
show is available as a downloadable podcast. That's right. To subscribe to the feed or download this show, visit us at podcast.asknoahshow.com. There you'll find not only the latest information, but all of the articles referenced in this episode. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thanks to Vox Telesis for providing our phone systems, Ben, our producer, and Sarah, our call screener. This hour of the show may be over, but there's plenty more content for you at asknoahshow.com. Mm-hmm.